We are here to uncover the good, the bad, and the ugly of the IT industry. My name is Robin Johns, and this is Convergence by Cato Networks. Technology is a strategic requirement for every global organization and its board of directors, regardless of industry. No one is immune from the machinations of technological evolution and the associated disruption that follows. As a result, we can no longer separate business strategy from technology strategy, forcing corporate boards to converge their decision-making processes around a strategic agenda of innovation and risk mitigation. So, how do you sell a networking solution to your management team? Today, we're hosting Brian Wolski, Sales Enablement Lead at Cato Networks, and we'll talk about how to get internal buy-in with your management team. Let's get started. Welcome, Brian. Thank you, Robin. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining today. Now, we're going to get started with a question I like to ask everybody. How did you get to where you are today? <laughs> with a lot of other people and convincing them that it was good to take a chance on me. Honestly, I have found that there's a lot of people in the industry that if you just work just a tiny bit harder, you can rise, kind of say the cream rises to the top. I don't know that I'm necessarily the cream, but I found a way to, to rise to wherever I am. I don't, I'm certainly not at the top, but not where I started either. Well, as RuPaul says, if you can't love yourself, how the heck are you going to love someone else? So, you know, be your own champion. Clap for the man in the mirror. That's the important part. <laughs> I like it. You need to champion yourself. But as a sales enablement lead, how do you find your champions inside an organization? If you're looking at network transformation and migrating, how do you identify the key players? Can you provide any key tips or guidance? Yeah, absolutely. So honestly, with a champion, they have to have three things, right? They have to have power and influence. If they don't have power and influence, they're really just maybe a coach or a cheerleader. They have to act as an internal seller for us. And they also have to have a vested interest in our success. If you find someone who has all three of those and maybe even multiple people, then they can be your champion and help you get the deal from just a concept on a paper to an actual different kind of paper, a PO, right? Coming in and turn it into revenue. And then we all get paper to put in the bank and give paper to other people. So you're saying life is just nothing but a series of paper shuffling from it's one paper. hands to others. Yes, absolutely. Even in this digital economy, it's still paper. Well, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're pushing digital paper, right? At that point. So say if I'm in my organization and I'm thinking about doing some digital change, I am currently using a series of legacy products which are scattered around my industry, and I'm considering migrating to a service-based mentality or completely revitalizing a strategy. How would I find the champions to do that within an organization? Because everybody has their own agendas. What would be your advice? Well, you have to understand that every time someone's making a change, it's based in some sort of pain right? That's a pretty good indicator that we're going to actually make a change or do something different, right? Your actual body has sensors everywhere. If there's pain, you're on fire, maybe. I mean, you're going to feel that pain and know that you need to do something different. So we need to identify the pain. We need to indicate that pain to them through generally using you know KPIs like ROI or, or something like that. And then also implicate that pain. So they're so aware of that pain that they want to change it now or change it even sooner than now, right? Because uh, they want to get rid of it. So if you can find that pain internally, business objective, maybe it's a efficiency pain, maybe it's you know, lost revenue pain, whatever it is, find that 
and then attach yourself to projects that are dedicated to fixing those pains. So say we've identified the people, we know the pains, we know the items, but then comes the difficult part, actually convincing management to make that change. Because I've talked to loads of people and generally people are risk adverse. They don't want to move towards making changes because changes are inherently dangerous. Why change things if they're already working? So if you know there's a tangible reason to go and make a change in the environment and migrate away into a new form of networking or security solution, what tools do we need to give our champions to make sure that they're ready before going to that management? Because we need internal buy-in. How can we help our identified champions? Yeah, so again, we need to make sure that that pain is felt everywhere, especially in the decision tree, whoever's making those decisions. But the champion, in order for them to actually go and have the tools that they need to effectively act as an internal seller for us, we really need them to be able to answer five questions. And those five questions are, why our solution? What problems does our solution solve? How does the solution actually solve them? And how does our solution do it better than the other solutions? Those are kind of like all around that. But then the fifth and maybe most important one is, what's the proof? How can we prove that it actually is going to solve it? So we can use things like references. We can give them case studies. We can uh, show them awards or maybe what analysts are talking about us. Maybe they've actually done a proof of concept and we can actually have measurable, tangible KPIs to show them the proof points of how we did solve that pain. So what about when trying to implement technologies which might be emerging? Maybe they don't have the awards yet. Maybe they're not on Capterra with high reviews or on the Gartner ranking. How would you suggest to position that to a management team? People are going to be risk averse, right? So obviously, if you find somebody who's willing to be on the cutting edge and take risk and all the kind, great, because it's a whole lot easier to get them to act. But the larger the organization, the more risk averse they usually are. So let's find key areas where we can partner on smaller deals where there's less things at risk. Maybe it's a a new branch that needs to try out the technology. Maybe it's uh, remote users or a subset of users that need to try a new product or solution. So if you can find, rather than finding a solution that's all or nothing, I have to make a huge change, change everything now, and then you know I'm in the land of perfection or whatever. Most people don't do that. You're, you're probably gonna have to be a hybrid solution and find places where I can start plugging in little bits and pieces so I can prove to myself, I can prove to my management, that we're solving those issues, whatever those pain issues are that I was talking about earlier. The challenge isn't to do with the networking or the management team itself. It's generally to do with the person who controls the budgets, like the CFO. So if we've enabled our champions, we've got the metrics, we've got the right KPIs and ROIs to find, and we know our business use cases, how do they we move forward to talk to a CFO who might not really understand what the products are doing, and he's only looking at the bottom line. What is the financial impact and how would you manage that conversation? Yeah, I mean, obviously they understand numbers. And so a lot of people will come at them with KPIs and ROIs. And that's the typical tools I think a lot of people use. But if you're talking about transformational technology, something that's actually changing architectural paradigms, then you kind of have to define the problem as the market sees it. So they need to understand what's the market doing? How is it changing? What's going on? And if analysts and the market are saying there's a problem, okay, great, let's define that. Then we say, okay, now the market and analysts, and they're all defining a solution too. So let's 
look into that and understand the solution. And then you come in behind that and say, this is how this particular company is fixing that problem. This is their solution to the problem. And you tell them like, the reason we have to do this is because the way the industry has been operating for the past 20, maybe even 30 years is not the way the industry is going to be operating moving forward, right? Things are changing. We can keep doing the same and kind of be risk averse as far as just doing the same thing over and over and over. But the problem is the outcomes that we need are changing. And if the outcomes are needing, we need to change the inputs, right? Because we're not going to get different outcomes if we're, if we're not changing the inputs. So again, we have to let them know things are changing whether we want them to or not. And we need to find ways to, uh, things that they're willing to risk to take a chance on and say, well, let's plug in in these different areas. Because if they don't, those business objectives that they're trying to accomplish, whether it's making widgets or providing services to people, that's going to go away because they won't be able to deliver it anymore. So that is the risk, right? That's the pain. It's just pain that's unrealized. So what about the situations where somebody might have transitioned their network two or three years ago and the equipment was amortized over a five or seven year budgetary period? And now you realize that in your architectural vision, that's not really going to scale. So in this situation, how do you convince the management that infrastructure needs to change? Especially if you've just spent a lot of money a few years ago on expensive pieces of tin sat in warehouses, slowly rotting away with a support and maintenance contract ticking down. How do you do that uh, conversation? To be honest, I think a lot of people get lulled into that fallacy, if you will, of this sunk cost fallacy, right? I've spent all this money, I can't change. Well, the problem is you've spent all this money and it's not solving the problem. So you need to change, right? And a lot of us feel like, well, no, I've spent too much money. I can't turn my back on it now. I think the fear is they don't know, really know where they're going to go from here. I thought this was going to solve the problem. Now you say that this is going to solve the problem. So if I spend money over here, then will it really solve the problem? They kind of are, have this self-doubt. So I think for those people, they need a lot more reassurance that whatever solution you're talking about actually is going to solve the problem. And you need to understand, I go back to the pain, you need to understand the business needs that you're trying to solve. And that probably needs to be documented very well and then tested out and proved. But again, if you have a solution that you can tie into, I mean, most companies now, they realize they're going to be in a hybrid solution. No one's going to rip and replace everything. So find a solution that you can do a hybrid kind of work around and work with what they already have in place. That's typically what we all have to do. We've done that at many vendors, right? OEMs understand that. They understand that it's very rare for anyone to start from scratch and just say, this is, we weren't doing anything digital before and now we're doing everything digital. That just doesn't happen. That's a great way. And understanding the key metric drivers to the business. And as you mentioned, documenting the goals are very important. But when it comes to documenting goals, generally you might end up looking at multiple vendors offering the same items. For example, Cato Networks, we're a SASE and SSE market leader, but there's other vendors out there that would also say that they are also the leaders. So I don't want to just focus on Cato here, but what advice would you give to champions to distinguish unique sales points or key business drivers for the organization? That was a great question. I think everyone kind of needs to do that. So in the case that you brought up, again, I go back to there is a market problem and there's a market solution. You don't need to go to the salesperson and say, do I need to buy a new car? Because the answer is, is always going to be yes. You need to buy a new car and you need to buy it from me, right? 
But if you go to the industry and you say, is there a problem? And the industry comes back and says, yes, the analysts are saying, the market's saying it. Then you realize, okay, there is a problem. We need to kind of change this paradigm. We need to change the architecture. We need to change how we're getting business done and moving forward. So if that's happening, now how is the market and the analysts, what are they generally saying about what the solution needs to be? So you go look at that. In the case you brought up SASE and SSE, well, Gartner are the ones that coined those phrases, right? So let's look and see how they define what those phrases mean. What do they even mean? Everyone kind of has their own slant on it. But if you look at what Gartner says they are, they're actually pretty specific about what SASE, what SD-WAN, what SSE is. And then you look, okay, how do the solutions that I'm looking at align with those definitions? And then it's very easy at that point to start looking past the marketing, looking past the hype, looking past what's just words and understanding, okay, this really is this and this really belongs in this bucket, but it takes some work on the side of the actual buyer, right? I mean, it's the same idea. I go back to buying a car. Every salesperson is going to tell you that they have the car you need and they're going to tell you why. You have to kind of cut through whatever line they're giving you and really understand what it is that, that you need, right? So going back to understanding the market problem and the market solution as the market and the analysts say, measure against that and then see who really has what. Well, with the current rising price of gas, with the long lead time for brand new cars oh, and the crazy cost of used cars, I think everybody should move to the Uber and service route now. Just get a car for when you need it unless you want to pay three times market value for a car. Yeah, I mean, that gives you a whole new meaning to the to ride share, right? If we had these timeshares for cars, you know, maybe that's the way to do it. I think that's a good business idea. Oh, maybe we should find a champion to spearhead one of those. <laughs> yeah, I own one one hundredth of a car, you know, and I get to use it at, what, three and a half times a year, right? I guess what it would be. <laughs> well, with working from home, I guess uh, that's not so important anymore. I have to travel 30 foot from kind of the house to the office and back. Pretty intense, pretty exciting. So if we have identified what needs to be done in an organization, we have our key metric drivers, we know that the conversations and we want to get the champions to succeed. If you're ready, you have all of the, the metrics and data points against you. What would you recommend people do not do? What sort of steps with good intention can actually hold people back from a winning conversation? Yeah, well, you know, what's interesting is a lot of times when you try to use FUD or fear, uncertainty and doubt, right, or you use negativity against things like competition and those kinds of things, it ends up working against you. Here's an idea. The customer has given you time to say whatever it is that you want to say, and you can focus on whatever it is you want to focus on because you're talking with the customer and you focus on your competition. You focus on and throwing, you know, negativity and shade their way. That kind of gives legitimacy, number one, to your competition. But it's also, why would you talk about someone else when you're here to talk about you? You need to focus on what you do, what you do better. You definitely want to always focus on the positive things. It was once said that if you want to have the tallest building, there's two ways to have it. You can tear all the other buildings down around you or build your building taller, right? One way is definitely better and less destructive than the other. And that's really, honestly, if, if you want to win with integrity, that's the best way to do it. A lot of people hate that negativity and the infighting and, and all that. And sometimes it works against you. Like you said, they may have a friend, they may have an affinity for the other product. And if you're just bashing it, they don't want to talk to you. So I would say that's probably no, one of the number one things is don't go negative. Don't go ugly. 
I've seen conversations with C-level executives where people have used FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, as well as FOMO, the fear of missing out, as key sales drivers. And I personally think that if you lead with those that negativity, it leaves a bad impression on the person you're talking to. Because even if you're hyping up your own product, even if you're saying everything is fantastic, it still leaves a negative impression on the individual. So I like that. I'm, I'm aligned with you there. So if we are ready to close on a specific vendor and we've convinced everybody internally that it's a great idea and all the champions are aligned, are POCs, proof of concepts, a good idea from that point? If everybody's already aligned, it seems uh, like it's just adding time to the close, right? And the longer that an opportunity or a deal is open or what we call on the street, the more chance there is of something to happen to take it away, right? Market conditions change. Uh, something changes inside the company. Someone gets fired or hired. So decision trees change. So it is best to take a deal off the street, so to speak, as soon as possible. Um, I wouldn't do a POC if it wasn't needed. But if you have to do a POC to have those proof points and the metrics uh, that's needed for them to kind of take that risk that we talked about earlier, certainly it, it's something that you have to do. And that's really the best way to mitigate those problems. But again, if everybody's ready to go, skip the POC. It just adds time and uncertainty and who knows what's going to happen in the future. We don't know. So get the PO today. So if not everybody has aligned before we move to a POC stage, what would you recommend preparing before a POC starts? Well, you have to have documentation, right? You have to have an understanding and it has to be written down and all the parties need to agree on this is what we're measuring. So if you just say, well, I'm going to send you know some equipment your way and then we're going to set it up and test it. Well, what does that mean? Because you may be testing certain parameters uh, that the your solution provides or what it does. And it may mean nothing and there may be no value. It may not be solving the actual problem that that particular customer has. So if you understood those pain points again and you documented, these are the things I need to fix so I can be more efficient. These are what I need to fix to be able to drive more revenue. Where you're trying to get to, well, what does the solution actually have to do? Let's prove out that it can do those things. So document it. Have everyone agree on it. The champion, the economic buyer, the ones that are actually going to sign the PO and release the budget. Everyone has to agree that these are the things that we're measuring. And once you have that, then you have that plan in place and you work that plan. You kind of systematically go through each one of those points. So what would you say the ideal length of a POC should be to align with management vision? Presuming that we're doing a proof of value for a POC to get the C-level team on board, what would be the ideal time? I think that seems like a trick question to me because <laughs> I don't know that there is an ideal time. It really is, would be dependent on the specific deal. There are times that I've been involved with proof of value, proof of concept, or even just a technical deep dive right, with a customer. And sometimes, literally within minutes, you can show them what they need to have the comfort level to move forward. We checked off, you know, maybe it was just five boxes that need to be checked off. Where another customer may have multiple pages of things that need to be checked off. And that may take weeks or possibly even you know a couple of months. But certainly I would never want to see, I would hope that I wouldn't be involved in a POC that lasts more than maybe 60 days at tops. But you know, ultimately most of the POCs that I'm involved in are two to four weeks. That's pretty quick. That's all good. So if you were to talk to somebody that's a champion in a company and you just had to leave them with one single piece of advice, what would that one piece of advice be? And who is the person I'm talking to and giving them advice to? 
Imagine this is somebody inside a company who is a security champion or a networking champion, and they want to convince their C-level team that they need to make a change, that their current infrastructure is not suit for scale and might come across as a problematic challenge for them over the next few years. What one piece of advice would you give this person? They need to understand, and I hate to keep going back to it, they need to understand the pain because pain is what's going to drive the change. It's what's going to make management and everyone say, oh, you know what, we can't keep doing business like this. So if they understand the pain and they can point to that pain and say, this is costing us time, efficiency, people are leaving, whatever the case is, we have to fix it. And again, that's what's called implicating the pain. That's the most important thing to get everyone to decide we have to make a change. Whatever that change is going to be, we have to make a change. There has We have to solve. And we can't do business as usual because this is not tenable. Okay, fantastic. So my final question to you, this is the scary question. So prepare yourself. All right. What is something you know now you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? What I know now that I didn't know at the beginning of my career is that I don't know enough. Let me expound on that. I had a mentor early on that told me that I could learn something new every day for 20 years and I still won't know everything that I need to know, I feel like I have, I'm effectively doing my job. And this is when I was getting into um, networking specifically and I was just kind of feeling down like, man, I just feel like all I'm doing is studying, I'm learning this and I, I feel like I'm not making a dent. Every time I learn more, I feel like I, I know less, right? That piece of advice he gave me really stayed with me. So. I think for me, realizing that I'm never going to, we'll do this in quotes, I'm never going to get there, right? I'm never going to know everything. I'm never probably going to feel like I'm adequate enough in what I do know. I'm always going to feel like, you know, the people coming in the room behind me are always bigger, better, faster, smarter, whatever. And so that imposter syndrome kind of leaks in. But what's great about imposter syndrome is it either paralyzes you and you leave, right? You're no longer around or it drives you. Right. And if it drives you to learn more and to understand more and learn one thing a day for 20 years, you're going to stay relevant. And so find peers, find mentors. I always have this person that I have at every company I've been to. Usually it's multiple people if I can find them where I can call up and say, hey, buddy, I have a dumb question to ask. You know, I have a stupid question. I have a naive question that I'm going to throw at you. I probably should already know the answer to this, but it's never come up in my career before. How do we solve this problem? How do we do this or that? So I think, you know, that really is what it is. You're never going to know everything, but you need to, you need to keep trying to learn something new every day. And I've learned a lot of new things today. So thank you very much for joining us, Brian. It's been an absolute pleasure. That was all for our episode today. I hope you've come away feeling a little more educated and empowered. In case you've forgotten, I'm Robin Johns, and you've been listening to Convergence by Cato Networks. Don't forget to hit subscribe, and I'll see you next time.